With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another midweek WTF1 podcast. I am Katie Fairman and joining me for this episode is WTF1 founder Tom Bellingham. Uh, now, Tommy, we're not alone for this podcast. In fact, we are joined by a very, very special guest. Traven Free is a writer, a comedian and an actor who has not one but two Emmys in addition to a flipping Oscar, which he received for his phenomenal work on Two Distant Strangers. Uh, be sure to watch it on Netflix after this podcast as well. Um, and as well as these incredible achievements, he's also a hardcore F1 fan and recently attended both the US and the Mexico City Grand Prix, which... Like we said, we're, we're not, not at, all at all jealous of, no. <laughs> um, so firstly, Traven, how, how are you? How was Mexico? Oh, man, I'm so good. I'm just, I'm just catching up energy-wise because it was such a crazy, fun time in, in Mexico City and not a lot of sleep was happening. And um, they, they know how to party out there. I mean, those guys, they don't go to bed till like 8 a.m., and and then they turn around and go to go to the track, which is a little crazy. But um, no, it was it was incredible, man. I had the best experience. I mean, going especially going from Austin with four hundred thousand fans, and then going to Mexico with like another three hundred forty thousand fans. It was just so crazy to see such a great like outpouring of uh, people back out in the world doing things in such large numbers. Yeah, because we didn't have the the races a couple of years ago. I think it it kind of showed of like how passionate it was that like everyone kind of you'd, you'd miss that race and everyone wanted to be there for it this year. Yeah. And I think it's helped with everything else as well. And um, how, how long have you been uh, an F1 fan then? Cause we can, we can see, you know, you've got your merch on. We're not, <laughs> we're not just saying you're an F1 fan. No, I mean, you I are got a proper, proper F1 fan. I got, I see, I got two helmets over my shoulder sitting on the floor right there. Um, I actually got into Formula One because of Trevor Noah. Um, oh, I was yeah. Still, I was still writing at The Daily Show when he took over the show for, uh, for Jon Stewart. And him and Lewis are, are good friends. And I had never watched motorsport. This was around, this was 2015. And he was basically like, you got to watch Formula One. It's just different. And uh, he basically turned me on to the Senate documentary and, just kind of like gave me my entry point into the sport. And I was just blown away by how much I just enjoyed everything, every aspect of it, the technicality, the drama, the just the pure like fun of, of following the sport and was surprised I had never heard about it. Like, I mean, you kind of know it's like in the background, everyone knew the name Michael Schumacher, right? You hear that name in rap songs. Like, it's like, everyone knows that name, but uh no one really like there's no real entry point for it in the states until like now you have drive to survive and like lewis is so many more places and you see drivers and advertisements and things like that but back then it was just like i'd never all we knew was nascar indycar that was kind of like the thing no that's that's really cool um and 
I guess you mentioned Drive to Survive there. Have you seen a massive growth of F1 in the US because of Drive to Survive, do you think? Or is it just sort of been like a natural progression that more and more people have discovered it? Oh, I think Drive to Survive has done a huge like service for, for Formula One in the States because now uh, you, you see so many more people wearing Formula One gear, which was not a thing. Like I'd never seen that. And uh, the one, I mean, depending on who you ask, they'll say the one plus or downside is it's created a lot of Red Bull fans, <laughs> uh, <laughs> depending on who, depending on who your favorite team is, because, you know, a lot of people's entry point to the sport has become that show. And it very much in the early episode, early seasons centers around uh, Red Bull. And um, I, I have friends who never watched motorsports who like Drive to Survive got me into F1. Like I did the Ellen show back in June and she, we were in the dressing room talking and she saw my Mercedes jacket and she was like, oh my God, whose jacket is that? And I was like, oh, it's mine. She was like, I'm obsessed with Formula One. The Drive to Survive show like really like got me into Formula One. It's so crazy. And like, so it's creating fans of all walks of life, of every like age and gender and race. So like, it's pretty, it's really great. And I hope they they do more and create more entry points for the sport because I know Formula One is kind of insular in how they kind of do their content. It's very much, it lives on like F1 TV and things like that. But I think there's a lot more ways they can expand the sport even more to give fans more access to it. Yeah, I guess with, with Drive to Survive, the the thing that or I was, you know, it's, it's, it's a very similar thing that, you know, even though you're mentioning it like from the US, like even here in the UK, um, I grew up, everyone was into uh, football or soccer, as you guys would say. And like, you know, that's the massive sport over here. And right. growing up at school, it's like you're the one, the one F1 fan wherever else <laughs> likes football. And uh, but then Drive to Survive hit in, and you know, there's like my old schoolmates and things like that. That's like, oh my god, this sport is awesome! Like it's uh, it is it, kind of it's got this like image of like, oh, it's it's difficult to understand. It's cars going around in circles, and then I feel like Drive to Survive really sort of um showed you like so much more to the sport like the the personalities and things as as you know like a a director and someone that works in that in that field do you think that's what you know it's like the strongest thing about drive to survive like what your thoughts on it absolutely i think it's people of any walk of life love storytelling we love good storytelling and I think what Drive to Survive does well is it ignores the technical aspects of Formula One for the most part to give you the, the story, the drama, the like what's happening this season and who's racing against who and who's fighting for the title and like, oh, who's going to have a seat next year and who won't. I was like, those are the things people watch reality TV shows for those same reasons anyway. It's like, who's going to get eliminated? Who's going to be like, who's going to win the show? And so I think that framework was a really smart way to to create a show about a sport that's insanely technical in in its aspect of you know how you win or lose but it's also really dramatic and really interesting in in the way that the personal dynamics of the teams um create uh you know what happens on the grid and so that's that's really smart on their part and um 
I think once, I think there's more room, like I was saying before, to like now do something where people can learn about why the racing aspect of the show or of the sport is so great. Like what, what the technical aspects of the, of the sport is that makes it so, you know, fun to watch and why the people involved are so brilliant. Do you, how do you feel about, because I feel like some F1 fans can be very divided over the whole storytelling of like twisting the yeah. truth maybe i don't i don't think yeah. like uh, it's definitely something that is re- they've really like gone a bit more hardcore with in the maybe like the third season i don't feel like in the first season you're kind of like yeah okay um i get it uh you know that they they, they want to hype up these things that maybe isn't yeah. as thing but then i think the the latest series it was um you know you had this kind of stuff where you different radio messages that maybe weren't accurate and do you think that's like fine like for just as a point to just bring people in and it's like fair game no I mean I personally I think you know you should be as accurate and close to the truth as possible when you're dealing with telling a story in real time with real people in real life um but I also understand you know, the the responsibility of delivering a show to a studio who wants something that is interesting and, and somewhat dramatic and can can keep fans, you know, coming back for more. And so I would imagine just, you know, <clears throat> knowing how these things work, that people are probably going through this footage and looking at it and going, you know, here's the storyline for this particular aspect of the show or this particular season or episode. And here's where it falls flat. What can we do without jeopardizing our credibility to spice it up in a way that makes it interesting. And I can see how, how drivers might respond negatively to that because, you know, for the most part, the guys seem to be pretty, some of them, they, I mean, they all have very different personalities and some of them, you know, probably don't mind some of the attention and, and the way that Drivers of Life portrays them, like maybe a Daniel Ricardo. And, yeah, I think and, the same. <laughs> and then there's people like Max who are so kind of, at least front-facing, has this image of, I just want to race and I just want to race well and I want to win and I don't want to deal with drama or, at, or answer questions about drama but then he kind of does. And so like, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing where you want the best version of yourself to be presented on the show because you are a brand at the end of the day. And, and so as producers and and I'm sure whoever's directing the show, uh, they also have a responsibility to Netflix to create a show that is, you know, entertaining. And so it's, it's a fine line, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture into, falsifying things or creating narratives that don't really exist because I mean all you have to do is watch week to week and see what's actually happening and, and you can understand what's true and what's actually not exactly I'm I'm kind of hoping with this season well for season four which will be out um at the start of next year like there's been so many amazing storylines this season that I'm hoping yeah. that not needing to sort of make their own narrative with certain you know rivalries that us fans are like 
Carlos and Lando hate each other? What? <laughs> that's that's not true. <laughs> right. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that um how that all shapes out. Um, but something that is being talked about a load in the media this week, um, and after after Austin is the track walk and or the grid walk. And that's something which you managed to get onto the grid walk, which is amazing. And I was keeping an eye out for you on the telly. And then Martin <laughs> Brundle actually comes up to you and, and asks for an interview and tries to to walk away with your Oscar. Um, and I'm not sure, what's the relationship uh, with the the gentleman that was with you there that, that snapped back and said, uh, you can't do that, but you just did or something along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, so iconic. Uh, the so the 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 backstory of that is I was in New York before I went to Mexico, and you know my movie stars Joey Badass, and so mm. uh, Sunday prior, the Sunday before the race, the week before, I had let him uh, use my Oscar for a video he was making, and um, we I was flying into New York on Tuesday, he used it on Monday. And I was leaving to Mexico on, on Thursday. And so he gave it back to me and I couldn't go home because I was flying to Mexico. So it had to come to Mexico with me. And so I didn't even realize I had it with me because I just was so engrossed in the race weekend until I mentioned it uh, in the paddock Saturday. And they were like, oh, my God, you have to bring it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I brought it to the track, uh, to the paddock for the team, uh, especially like to like thank them for their incredible hospitality at Alfa Romeo. They're an incredible group of people. Um, and so Darren is my friend who, you know, connected me with Alfa Romeo. He is a big company called Hall of Fame uh, Collection, which is great, great racing memorabilia of, from, of every price point. Um, and uh, we got out onto the grid walk because they had two grid passes for us. And we're just kind of walking around and like looking at all the cars. And then uh, he goes like, I think Martin Brundle's coming over here. <laughs> and I look over and he's coming directly at me, but there's like uh, Mazepin is walking past, George Russell is walking past. And I'm like, maybe he's going to talk to one of those guys. And he comes right up to me. And I was like, oh man, I'm on live TV with Martin Brundle right now. I hope this goes well. And uh, we had such a great conversation. I'm such a like, fan of his and, and, and the sport, you know, you see that happen every week with all the different, well, since they brought it back. Um, and Darren uh, chimed in at the end, you know, you, you can do that. And you just did. And he yeah. became like the hero <laughs> of Twitter uh, <laughs> after that moment. Uh, it was so perfectly timed. It was just a great punctuation to the interview. It was. And were you given like any briefing beforehand of like, you know, if you get approached on the grid, do you have to speak to certain no, people or were you no. just there having a nice time? No, like no one told me any, I was so like caught off guard by it, but like I was happy it happened because it was like an honor to be interviewed by Martin Brundle on the grid. <laughs> but like, I wasn't prepared for it to happen. I assumed I was going to hang out and like watch the, engineers do what they do and like prepare for the start of the race and just kind of look around and see how cool it was to be out there and martin brundle showed up and i was like oh man this is great i get to actually talk to martin for it for like a second and i don't even know like how he even knew like i had any connection to lewis or his team in, in that like he, he must have done some insane research um because that's not anywhere any like in any form of any 
thing. And he was like, I hear you're doing something with Lou. I was like, what? I was so <laughs> caught off guard. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it was crazy. Do you, um, yeah, because I, I feel like, um, and we'll kind of go into this a bit a bit later with the whole like, oh, people on the grid, like there's a lot of Formula One fans that are always like, oh, I want to be there. These guys don't even like Formula One. And then the reason like your your interview went so well and obviously like the the comment that, uh, that was made yeah, as well, like yeah. everyone was like, okay, this guy is actually, you know, loves Formula One. Like you can tell like he knows about it and, and he's here. Whereas obviously what the the whole thing in the US, which was quite... Um, I don't, I don't know how much coverage that got in the, in the US, but certainly over here in the UK, the whole um, the grid walk in the US and the whole bodyguards thing has been quite a big yeah. story. What what's your kind of thoughts on how that was? It didn't it didn't get a lot of uh, like mainstream press here. I definitely saw it all over social media and in like racing blogs and things like that but i don't remember seeing it in any major like u.s press it was definitely on social media though because megan has such a big following Mm. um but i mean it's tricky because i do completely understand how fans want you know people who are fans of the sport to be you know, doing things like grid walks and not just taking advantage of the fact that there's a race and you walk down the grid and get seen on camera and you're just there for your own publicity. Um, it It's a strange um, relationship because, you know, having someone like that, like Megan there, introduces fans to the sport who would never have known about it or never even thought to watch it but also fans of the sport want to see people who respect, you know, the sport and and aren't just kind of feel like they they're using the sport. But I think there was, it was tricky because there was some, you know, unfair coverage to Megan about the situation and, and, and her, her team and the way that they handled it. But, um, you know, I I under I also understand how people feel like, well, if you don't want to participate in the way the weekend works, then don't do those things. Like, just hang out in the Red Bull paddock like she was and take photos and, like, let people who are actually fans of the sport, um, you know, participate in those things. And so it's it's such a a, a crazy and tricky situation with celebrities because there's so many celebrities at the races like every week typically uh, who are guests of the teams and um you know you don't know who's actually like a big fan of the sport and who's actually just there because a driver invited them and you know they're happen to be in town that weekend and so um it's interesting to to see the direction Formula One is actually taking grid walks with like now, I guess there's like the Martin Brundle rule or whatever, where they're <laughs> limiting bodyguards on the track and all those kind of things. But I mean, why do you need a bodyguard on the track anyway? I don't know. It's just such a like fun and easy place to kind of be. Like, I don't think like Carlos Sainz is going to tackle you. Like <laughs> yeah. if you don't have your bodyguard with you or something like that. So um, yeah, man, I think, uh, I, I, I think it's very, uh, it's beneficial for both Formula yeah. One and the, and the celebrities to to be there, but I do think it, it's also good to try to be 
you know, into it to try to appear at least to learn something about like what you're getting yourself into. So those kind of situations don't happen or like why it would be good for you to talk to Martin Brundle on the grid, you know? Um, yeah, all those things um, can work in your favor. I can't speak on behalf of Megan, but she might not have had any idea who, this, who Martin Brundle was. She was like, totally. who's this like old uh, like British man that's just trying to shove a mic <laughs> right. in my face like right. she she might not have a clue but you know she seems to be entertaining the idea and obviously him right. saying can you give me a rap about F1 or something like that like she seemed fairly fairly game for it um, that was like, like the most difficult. like awkward British thing to say yeah, <laughs> to like someone, a, yeah. I think I think the thing that shot him in the foot was asking her to rap because it's already like rap in and of itself is its own thing and so uh like going up to a rapper on on the grid and saying can you do a rap is so on the spot and so like awkward that she probably i mean she tried to smile it off and like walk it walk through the interview in, in a way that like made it less uh awkward but it definitely yeah. uh uh it definitely was an interesting thing to ask her and made for a, a stranger situation. I guess it's kind of similar, you know, somebody coming up to yourself and being like, oh, you're a comedian, make me laugh. Like, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite a personal yeah. thing and it's, yeah. yeah. It's, a it's bit very bit situational. Of yeah, exactly. It was, it, the whole situation for me is so bizarre because like you say, Kate, she seemed more than happy to, to at least entertain Brenda and I mean it wasn't even a I guess in a way his question was very very odd and maybe you know if he'd asked uh, how are you finding your first Formula One experience yeah, you know, it might exactly. have been something more that she'd have been like okay and I totally agree with you that I mean when I was a lot younger I was totally in the same uh, I totally understand Formula One fans frustration because you know I'm there watching from home and I'd, I'd you know it's an absolute dream to to be able to do something like that and then you see people that don't even know who the drivers are uh, right. walking around but equally right. like you say they're gonna get formula one to a whole new group of fans and that's something that like lewis has done more than any other driver in, in history like the, the yeah. fact that he's brought so many people in from outside of formula one um has been has been massive and I, re I really embrace that. I know there's a lot of gatekeeping in Formula One, which I'm yeah. not, not a big fan of. But I mean, I love I loved talking to people um, that have been watching, you know, even if it's the first race, like in a way, sometimes it's even more interesting to hear from them because everything's so exciting and they don't know like all the things that we do when we watch it week in, week out. So from from that side, it's kind of right. kind of cool to have new people see the sport right absolutely i mean the the sport has so much to offer and it's such a fun uh and just cool cool sport and for me for someone who's into sports and, and follows a lot of them i didn't really know about it until like five or six years ago and so like i can only imagine how many people in the states are like would love formula one if they knew about it or, or had an entry point for it and I hope it continues to grow here. Now we have Miami next year and there's like whispers of Las Vegas. I honestly wish they would just bring back Long Beach because I live in California. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, like, I'm, I'm hoping to see it, it expand and grow here because I, I want to be able to go to more races. Um, 
and not always have to fly to like Dubai or or uh, some Amsterdam or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be really cool. Have you ever been to to Silverstone? No, but I want to go next season. I think I'm. I would love to to go to Silverstone. Uh, I was gonna. I actually was like trying to fix my schedule a little bit to try to come to you guys' thing in Silverstone this uh, uh, season, but I was directing and I couldn't make it work. Uh, it sounded like you guys had a blast um, up there, and but it's definitely and it, what a race that was. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, I'm looking at trying to fit more races into my my schedule, but um, I mean, the more I get into like feature work and, and directing and things like that. It's just a little more difficult, but the plus side is it's on the weekends. So I can kind of <laughs> still away, but at my own cost of exhaustion for whatever I have to do the day, the following week. Yeah. Well, you're a very busy guy and we appreciate by the way, that it's like seven, 8am for you in the morning, which <laughs> yeah, is very, very early. So yeah. It's funny for me for to hear like, you you know like living in LA and stuff to be like I really want to go to Northamptonshire um (laughs) (laughs) I I go to I'm in London all the time and it's like last year was the first year in a long time that I hadn't gone uh at all and so it's like a place that you know I just love I have great friends there and I love hanging out there and so and Silverstone is such a great race I actually have Lewis's race used gloves for Silverstone 2018 um that uh are in my closet and haven't been framed yet but uh <laughs> um nice yeah I, lo- I love I love London and the UK and um I'm, I would love to see a race there yeah it's we... amazing atmosphere Silverstone it's always yeah like uh the crowd are amazing yeah it what, looks like really a lot of fun. Cool. what's um you you mentioned about the the Lewis gloves, and I I noticed as well. I saw some pictures of you with the uh, Alfa Romeo helmets and stuff. What what yeah. kind of uh, what kind of gifts have you uh, <laughs> managed to <laughs> to get hold of? Because because um, you're uh, you've got some very very cool stuff. Whereas I think the the most we can hope for is when like people you see the people like bringing home the DRS signs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've managed to 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 start amassing a nice collection. I got I get a lot of stuff from from Darren, actually, a, a Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame collection. And, you know, I have some friends at F1 Authentics who, you know, will like send me emails about things that aren't like necessarily public or like listed and like, hey, are you interested in this kind of thing? Or and occasionally <laughs> I get given things sometimes. I my favorite part of the weekend actually was George Russell giving me his hat which was like I saw that on Twitter that's so cool (laughs) so like I saw him on Friday and we were standing by by the William not far from the Williams paddock and we were just having a little chat and um and I was like you know I've been trying to find your hat for over a year like I can't it's not on sale anywhere you can't find it and um and he was like, oh, you just go by the paddock and, and, and you know, ask, they'll sort you out with one and um, they should have some. And so I, got, I went by the paddock and they were like, we don't have any more. They're all gone. And so on Sunday, on race day, I was in the bathroom and I look over one year and over and it's George Russell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we're at the sink together and we're washing our hands and we start talking and I'm like, yeah, man, I... I went by the paddock, but they were, they were like fresh out of your hat. So like, I guess maybe it's just, 
it's just not meant to be this weekend. And he was like, oh man, I'm sorry. He's like, don't, he's like, don't worry. Like I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. And so I just so happened to be recording walking off the grid to go back to the paddock and he's walking towards me and he sees me and just takes the hat off his head and tosses it to me, mean, mean Joe Green style. And uh, it was like the coolest, the coolest moment. It was so cool. He was like, oh yeah, that guy wants my hat. Like here, just take this one. I don't need it anymore. Um, so that was really, really cool. That's awesome. Very, yeah. Like seeing all of the selfies or like pictures that you were posting from the paddock in Mexico. In fact, you must be one of the only people in the paddock that might be slightly taller than George Russell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, me, me and Antonio uh, and uh, Giovinazzi, we had dinner on Saturday, I think it was. Um, and he's pretty tall. He's like six foot. Um, but uh, yeah, George is six two, I believe. And then, you know, I'm six foot seven. And so Toto is probably the closest I come to meeting anybody. I saw that, I saw that picture. Yeah. Just... It's, it's funny because people are like, oh man, you're tall and Toto's got like two meet, two, two uh, centimeters on your hair or whatever. <laughs> uh, met, uh, I don't know the metric for interest conversions, but uh, uh, and I was like, no, actually, if you look at the photo, I'm standing a little bit in front of him and I'm bending down so that we look the same size. I didn't write Toto was that tall. Yeah, he's That's really crazy. tall. Because really the picture tall. of you with uh, Frederick Vasseur where he stood on the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's brilliant. The one with Felipe Massa is also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> tiny. Um, but one of my favorite moments too was talking to Kimmy about movies. Cause you know, Kimmy's notoriously, uh, you know, quiet and uh, uh, grumpy, but he was, he just was like, we had such a great conversation. He was like asking me all these things about how movies work and, and, and different aspects of, of Hollywood. And I asked him about, you know, would you, would you ever want to like, do a movie or like do a cameo in a movie and he was like only silent films <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the perfect Kimmy answer to being in a movie maybe that so, can be your so next good. project like Kimmy Raikkonen silent film it's <laughs> like career or something right just like one of just following him around Switzerland after he retires that'd be a great that documentary be. what yeah. have you um like I don't want to obviously uh try and like pry exclusive things from you but in terms of like formula one is that something you want to like work on like formula one and use that like f1 passion to do documentaries yourself yeah i mean i definitely want to do um f1 related projects i've gotten i've been pitched a couple f1 related projects um i um i've been like very very like slowly um moving forward with Lewis's team about, you know, just talking about ideas, like very, very, like nothing concrete, just literally just getting to know them and understanding what their goals are for him and his, you know, post-racing career. And um, I definitely would love to just be involved in helping the sport grow here and doing whatever I can to it, to expand it to around the globe. And so I, I, um, I, I'm looking for any I, any way to like kind of do something both with my to lend my talents to Formula One so that they can you know possibly do something interesting or cool here. Like I was telling Katie yesterday, my idea for uh, uh, a kind of uh, 
a way to integrate teaching people the technical aspects of the show in a way that's kind of fun and funny in the way that we do here with the NFL and the NBA where we have like either people related to the sport or uh, celebrity fans of the sport kind of doing little videos and things that teach people aspects of the game. And I think that could be really cool if like, you know, during practice sessions, you know, you they show a, a minute long video where, you know, someone explains what dirty air is or someone explains why tire temperature is important or someone explains what what downforce is in a way that, you know, I didn't know my mom watched Formula One until this weekend. And um, like, I'm pretty sure, like, there's a simple way to explain what downforce is to her and or, or anybody who's like a casual fan looking to become a little more knowledgeable or to even understand why the sport is so cool uh, beyond just the drivers in the cars. Um, and so it's things like that where like, I want to find ways to be involved with the sport and continue to support it and, and help it grow. And it's exactly like you said, with Drive to Survive, that focuses so much on the personality side of things, that there have been an influx of new fans to Formula One that maybe don't understand the technical side as much. Um, and it's frustrating as someone who sees these, you know, new fans come in that maybe some of the old fans are kind of gatekeeping it a bit and being like, okay, then, yeah, like you say, explain what downforce is or do this or do that. Right, like, right. There's, there's so many aspects to this sport that you probably have to be like watching content 24 seven to actually like understand. Like I've been watching F1 since I was a kid and there are some parts of it now that I'm watching and I'm like, ah, oh, like the penny has finally dropped. I'm like, oh, I understand that. Or like, you know, I don't really, I didn't really understand much about the high altitude stuff with Mexico. So I had to research it for a feature. And like every day is a school day with Formula One. There's always new things that fans might not know and things like that. So yeah, I think that sounds really like cool. a really good idea. What was really cool was actually being in the garage the entire weekend and getting to ask like any question and getting like literally the cars like opened up in front of you and you can literally Take point to anything, <laughs> ask anything. <laughs> the one rule is no pictures when the car is open. So with yeah. the engines exposed, no pictures, but any of, but like throughout the rest of the weekend, like you could take pictures and like do whatever, but um, that's the one thing I don't want is their engine on the internet. <laughs> um, but like the, a lot of the mechanics and the, the engineering people, you know, they would explain stuff to you in a way that I just never knew, for, even from watching at home and reading articles and like doing all the research. Like there's just some things you can only understand coming from the people who are doing it every day. And so like I, I asked um, one of their engineers about, you know, what about the aerodynamics of the car and like why um, I think I said, like, why don't you guys all just copy the best car? And then and a lot of people have have that question. They're just like, well, why don't you guys just do what the best car does? And it's like, well, the answer to that is they have a different engine. They have a different, the, the timing it takes to do that, to even like look at what's on a different car and get it made for your car. And then understanding that the, the because it works on the Mercedes doesn't mean it'll work on the Alfa Romeo. And because it's it's all these aspects of, of driving and racing and, and engineering that, um, go into everyone's car and everyone's individual garage that um, we don't necessarily all know on a technical level, but it's all these things that, were, that I learned this weekend in this past weekend that just like opened my eyes up to the sport in a way that even I couldn't 
find on the internet. And it was really cool to get the, hear those conversations, talk to a team principal, to have Ruth Buscombe go over the race strategy with me, which was like amazing. She's so amazing. And um, <clears throat> they, Alfa, the Alfa Romeo team is just, you know, they're just really, really great and really, really nice hosts and really wanted to, to for me to have the best time learning about F1 and experiencing the weekend with them. And it was, it was fantastic. I'm I'm really glad that you had a great time because like I said, there's uh not many people who I think are more deserving than an opportunity like that than than you are. Um and you also put pictures on social that you got a kind of a very VVIP tour with Angela um <laughs> at <Yeah>. Mercedes, which <laughs> looks amazing. That was really awesome. I actually I was walking down, that was on I think Friday, and me and Darren were walking down the paddock. We just stayed at the in the paddock pretty much the whole day. And around 6.30, all the paddocks do dinner for the teams. And so we had dinner and then we were just kind of walking. And I saw Angela go into the Mercedes garage. And um, I was like, oh, let's just walk down there. And then I ran into Lewis and we chatted for a minute. And um, And as he was walking away, um, Angela was coming out of the garage and I was talking to one of the Mercedes employees and I was like, oh, I just came to like say hi to Angela. And like, oh, she's coming right now. And we started talking and then she was just like, you want to tour the garage? And I was like, uh, do I? <laughs> um, and she just took us on the most extensive tour of the Mercedes garage. Like it was amazing. Like it, she showed us because at the time, both of the Mercedes were completely opened up on the floor. And so like they were getting them ready for Saturday. And um, so you could see the entire engine and all the engineers like working on boats as in, in Lewis's car. And uh, the floors of the car were off and like sitting against the wall. And so they were showing us technical aspects of the floor and how the 2021 regulations changed their floor and what it changed and how it changed it. And uh, she, she just literally took us, <clears throat> excuse me, to every section of the garage to explain to us what they do, how it affects the race weekend. Um, we got to see Lewis's steering wheel, which we were not allowed to touch because of COVID and uh, <laughs> same with his helmets. No, can't touch the helmets. She's actually the only person allowed to touch his helmets, which is funny. Um, and, um, and then she, she took us to the engine room where we got to see the engines for the weekend. And we like learned so much about how the engines work over the weekend. Like I didn't know that on Friday you use your oldest engine and then you work your way forward through the weekend to your best engine or the engine you're probably going to run with. And, you know, even what you do with an engine, once it's like it's run six races and uh, do you scrap it? Do like, what do you do? Like all these elements of like things that happen with the engines and, um, it was just like getting a Formula One like schooling in like 30 minutes. It was like the coolest experience. I think your presence just being there on the Friday was why they got the front row lookout on the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should I take did, that and run with it. <laughs> I did run into uh, run into Lewis's man and one of his managers, and they were like, uh, "Bring us some good luck this weekend." So, uh, oh, that's what I was going to tell you that I said I was going to say for the podcast. Oh, Everyone yeah. kept blaming the fact that I fist bumped Yuki before qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> for his uh his qualifying situation because uh i we were passing by the uh alpha tower uh 
Paddock and my friends who I was there with are really good friends with Max and Pierre and um, a lot of the Red Bull guys, because some of them are drivers who are racing other other uh, types of racing, but came up with Max and they were like been friends with them since they were kids. And um, Yuki was coming out of the, the paddock and we like did a fist bump and he went out to, to qualify and everyone was like, your fist bump uh, sabotaged Yuki's qualifying <laughs> <laughs> for Mercedes. <laughs> and they're like, don't fist bump some other drivers. <laughs> Poor oh, Yuki. Yeah. I, I, love, I love Yuki Snyder, so I'm sorry, but we're not friends anymore if you've cursed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, lo- I love Yuki, man. I was I was hoping to give him some, like, you know, have have a good qualifying, man. And it just it turned around the other the other way. But back, oh, poor back guy, what a weekend he had, man. Yeah. One to one to forget. At least with these triple headers, he hasn't got long to wait until the next race this weekend. So that's cool. I know it's coming up. What's today? Wednesday? Yeah. yeah. So, so close. Yeah. Do you guys think the track's gonna be finished in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's we, it's it's a uh, they they posted pictures uh maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, absolutely no way. Um, <laughs> but then I think they've shared some more images and it looks almost not, definitely not done, but to a, to a, like, it looks like it could host a Formula One, at least cars on the track. So, uh, Cause yeah, there's been, there's been a few, I remember uh, a good while ago now, but they, they hosted a race in South Korea and it was very, very similar where the track really did not, look finished when they when they did that race and they still had all the cranes in the background like putting everything together at the last (laughs) minute so um hopefully not because i mean that would be (laughs) it'd be a shame if the title was decided by them just not not going to a race Uh, and it's like uh that's not the way we want want it to end what how do you uh how do you see the kind of what your thoughts on the final run in like are you uh, do you think Lewis can get title eight, or do you reckon it's going to be um, a struggle? It, I mean, it, he he obviously still has a mathematical chance of of winning the title. Um, I just you know when I in in talking to him, talking to people in his garage, talking to people in other garages, and just kind of like watching what's going on. Um, it's it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Um, but I mean, if anyone can do it, it's him. You know, if anyone can find a way, it's it's Lewis. But it it feels like the momentum is definitely you know in Max's car, and you know they've they've done a lot to to support him in a way where I feel like Valtteri doesn't care as much about helping Lewis win the title and wingmanning it for him. And it's I mean. I say that, but there's like, you go back and watch a few races and there's visual evidence to the fact that he's not very much, uh, uh, especially after being bounced off the team to, to care about, uh, you know, how much he helps Lewis or not. I mean, you look at what happened Saturday or Sunday and the, you rewatch that start and you don't see him ever even remotely move toward Max's car to shut him from, from, from passing. And I can only imagine that's someone who's just like, I'm here for me until the end of this season. And like, I mean, you look at Checo literally just literally slow his car down. So Max can come out of the pit lane in front of him. And like, it's just, 
you're just watching two different team strategies. And I would imagine no one at Mercedes would say, uh, you know, Valtteri's not being helpful to Lewis's, you know, chances, because I think that's also part of the drama of Formula One, right? Where it's like, you're on a team, but you're also an individual. And so what, how much are you owed to your teammate if they're in a title fight? Like, do you then become a secondary driver to help him win that title? Or do you drive for yourself and try to have the best weekend you can have every weekend? Because you technically are owed that as a driver. You are an individual driver, but you're also on a team. And so that's, it's so tricky. And so I understand Valtteri's frustration with how the year has gone and I can understand why he wouldn't necessarily care to help Lewis win a title after the way this year has gone. But my own personal feeling is that if I was in that position where I could be a part of history in that way, I would probably handle it a little differently. I probably want to, you know, be instrumental in Lewis winning his eighth championship. Um, But, you know, I, I get it. And that's, the, that's why Drive to Survive is so fun. <laughs> exactly. Very it's going to be very entertaining next year. Um, well, it's always a pleasure to chat with fellow F1 fans about this amazing sport, um, but especially someone like yourself. Uh, so thank you so much for giving us your time to talk through Mexico, talk through Drive to Survive and just the whole championship so far. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and hopefully um, we'll have you back again soon. It would be lovely. Yeah, thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you amazing. very much. Awesome. That's all right. Um, well, if you enjoyed this episode, um, be sure to let us know on social media. Be sure to also follow Trevin. We'll put all of his social links in the description of this as well um and we will see you uh, very soon for some brazil hype of some sort obviously got the sprint this weekend and it's gonna hopefully be another cracking race see you later goodbye